Hey, I want to tell you a story, okay? Imagine in this story that you are desperate for a job. You have been unemployed for a while. Your family is having trouble finding how to pay rent or to pay your mortgage. And you're really having trouble providing for the next meal for your family. It's that kind of desperation. And so you're doing everything you can. You're on Facebook. You're on LinkedIn. You're trying to get your resume refreshed. And really, you just are trying to hang out in places where people might be hired for the day, even. That's how desperate you are. So in that scenario, you're waiting with other people to be hired. And suddenly, someone who owns some land locally comes by and says, Hey, I would like to hire some of you. And suddenly you stand up a little taller. You brush your hair back a bit. You try to hurry up, you know, and make yourself look as good as you can because you go, I need the money. And, and as the landowner comes by, you raise your hand and they come by and they say, hey, I'll, I'll have you. Will you come with me? And you want to work. And you say, sure, what's the work? And they say, well, it's not glamorous. It's really just yard work. Um, but I will pay you for the day. Will you be willing to do it for uh, $750 for the day? And you go, yeah, why not? I mean, okay, let's go. This is going to provide for my family for today. Maybe a couple more days. I don't know. So absolutely, let's, let's do it. Now, they bring, the individual brings a few other workers, and you go, and it's 6 a.m., and you start to work in the yard, all right? You start to work on the land. It, it, it's, it's enjoyable work at the beginning because it's kind of in the cool of the day. Well, then at noon, other workers show up. The landowner has brought other people to work. And what do you think? You go, this isn't so bad. Great. I I'm Reinforcements. Excellent. Let's work together. And so more hands, more work. Let's do it together. And then at 3 o'clock, the same thing happens. More workers come, and the landowner brings more people. And you start to think, what? You start to think, well, maybe, maybe I'm not doing a good job. Maybe he doesn't think. But in the end of the day, he's the landowner. I don't care. I get paid. It doesn't matter. Now, 5 o'clock comes, and more workers join up. And now everyone's working together until 6 o'clock at night. And now at 6 o'clock, it's time to be paid. The day's over, and the landowner comes to you and begins to pay. But instead of paying you first, he pays the individuals that came at 5 o'clock first. And guess what he paid them? $750. And you say, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. In your mind, you're thinking, that's not right. I've been here since 6 a.m., but you're just watching what's happening, and then he pays the people who came at 3 o'clock, and they also make $750. And then he pays the people who came at noon, and they make $750, and then finally everybody else is happy, and they're leaving, and now it's just you and the landowner, and he gives you that $750. Put yourself in that story and in that moment. What are you thinking? In fact, I want you right now to just turn to your neighbor, whatever emotion you're feeling in this moment, and just tell them what you think about it. What do you think about this scenario? What's your emotion? All right, how many of you said something like, I'm happy? How many of you said happy? Or I'm, I'm grateful? All right, nobody. How many of you said angry, some form of angry or mad? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you said some form of jealous? You're jealous of the other workers who got there at 5 o'clock. How many of you said some version of the word, uh, it's unfair or I got ripped off? All right? Several of you. Well, that's natural. It, it, seems, it just doesn't seem right, does it, to get paid the same? And yet remember, you were the one at the very beginning of the day who did not have a job. You were the one at the beginning of the day who still needed to provide for their, your family. You were the one. 
who made the agreement with the landowner that you would get $750. And at 6 a.m. you were happy, and at 12, actually 12 p.m. you were not unhappy. You're still working. By 5 p.m. you're still okay because you don't really know what's going to happen. It wasn't until 6 p.m. until he paid the other individuals that you began to feel like something is not right here. Now, this scenario happens all the time. I get in line at Ikea, <laughs> which I think, in, in, you know, when I think about, like, hell, I think about Ikea. Amen? I think, like, Dante's Inferno, levels of hell. I cannot get out of this place, and I have to eat sweetest meatballs. I mean, it's, like, for eternity. It's ridiculous. But anyway, here I am in line, and it's a long line, and suddenly a new cashier shows up and opens up a new register next to mine, and waves over the people that are behind me. And the guy that is behind me now is the first in line in the other register. There's just something not right about that. I've been here in this line. Nothing changed in my scenario. I'm still waiting exactly as long as I would have waited if I still stayed in that line and he still stayed behind me. But the very fact that he's now in that other line makes me irritated. Though I've been waiting in the doctor's office. I called two weeks ahead of time. I booked an appointment. The doctor comes out and says, hey, uh, whoever just came and walked in today, would you come on in without an appointment? And uh, I'd like to see you first. And you're like, what? Am I supposed to be happy about this? Or you worked at your job for 30 years and the next hire is straight out of college. The boss asks you to move out of your office to make room so that this novice will get your office and actually gets paid the same as you, gets all the perks and holidays that it took you 30 years to earn. What are you supposed to say about that? Yay? And yet this is exactly the story that is found in Matthew chapter 20. And as, as it is with most of the parables of Jesus, there is what seems to be an obvious point to the story, and then there is a deeper point to the story. And the obvious point to the story we've already uncovered, which is what we'll call unfair comparisons. In the previous chapter, actually, in chapter 19 of Matthew, what happens is a rich guy comes to Jesus and says, how can I get to the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus really quickly analyzes the situation. He doesn't make a universal principle here. He just makes a principle for that guy. And he says, I'll tell you what, give up all that you have, then you can be part of the kingdom of God. And, and this guy looks at his stuff and he says, oh, I can't give up all that. And so he walks away sadly. In the meantime, Peter is off to the side watching this drama unfold. And Peter goes right up to Jesus and said, well, well, hey, we have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? The rich young man didn't do what you asked him to do, Jesus, but I have. I left my occupation. I left my family. I left my comfort zone, and I followed you. So what's going to be in it for me? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anybody who leaves fields or family or houses for me will receive 100 times as much as he has sacrificed in the end in eternal life. But then he gave Simon Peter this warning. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Don't compare yourself with other people, Peter. Just because you were first to follow me doesn't mean you're going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it will be reversed there. And then immediately, even though it goes from chapter 19 to chapter 20, in our world, it's still the same scenario. Because right after that conversation with Peter, he then looks at the rest of his followers and says, let me tell you this story. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like a wealthy landowner who went out to hire workers. And he ends that story with the same phrase, the last will be first and the first will be last. And I think what Jesus is saying is, don't make unfair comparisons. You know what I think is the hardest commandment in Scripture to follow? 
It's not love your neighbors yourself or, or, or give to the Lord. I think it's Romans 12, 15. It reads, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think it is difficult to rejoice with other people who are rejoicing. But the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. That is a difficult thing. Now, I don't think anybody in here would have trouble mourning with those who mourn. And when something bad happens to one of you and all the rest of you rally around and support and encourage and cry with and love on each other, it's not hard to mourn with those who mourn. In fact, the other night, Friday night, we were at the Lebanon High School football game. And uh, in the early part of the first half, maybe in the second quarter, actually, uh, one of the players from Lebanon went down. And it, you could tell it was serious because immediately trainers from their team went right over to this individual. And then trainers from the Lebanon team went quickly over. And now there's about eight people gathered around this student. And, and, and the place is hushed. And the, the other team is already kneeling down. And it, you begin to know over the period of time that it's more and more serious. And I'm watching this unfold. And I begin to be tearful because I'm a dad of a football player and I'm putting myself in the position of that family because the coach comes back over and yells up to the, to the box. He says, hey, make sure that his family can come. And so over the loudspeaker they say, would the family of Dalton Hedges please come to the field house? And so you know this is serious. We don't know what has happened, but the place is in a hush. And when they announce that, all of the sideline for Lebanon kneels down. And then they begin to cart him off. And I think I see that it might be his leg. And in fact, we learned later that he had dislocated his foot and broken his ankle, much like Josh did years ago, if you guys remember that. And they carted him off. And I was glad it wasn't more serious than that. But that entire sideline on that sideline, they all stood up and applauded him as he went off the field. And I just started to cry. It's not hard to mourn with those who mourn. But it is hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. We make unfair comparisons, which leads to discontentment and then e envy and then grumbling and eventually to alienated relationships. The Bible says envy rots the bones. And we make these unfair comparisons, and they happen all the time in life. One professional player realizes that he doesn't make as much as another professional player. And so then he holds out and he does everything against the team just so he can get that next paycheck, i.e. Antonio Brown. And this happens. You can see it in families. Some of you have been compared to your older brother or sister. Maybe you did the comparison. And no matter what you did, you could never measure up. And so you became bitter at your mom and dad. Or in the case of your physical appearance. Maybe some of you compare on Instagram or on Facebook. They look better than I do. It's like the wicked queen in Snow White who was perfectly content as long as the magic mirror told her she was the fairest of them all. But then when it said, well, Snow White's prettier than you, then she became filled with rage and envy and wanted to kill the competition. That's one of the reasons that salaries aren't talked about in the workplace because you may feel like, well, I do more than they do, but they make more than I do, and that's just not fair. In the, in the end of Acts chapter, or Matthew chapter 20, we actually see this story continue because now, after this was all discussed, after Peter had just talked about what he had done for the kingdom and how great he was, and Jesus kind of knocked him down a level, and then this parable was told at the end of this, uh, James and John's mother brings her boys before Jesus and says, hey, look at my fine boys. And where are they going to sit in your kingdom? One on your right, one on your left? She's a little Jewish mother promoting her children, you know. They're great. 
And what happened? Jesus said, hey, I can't, I'm not guaranteeing any of that stuff. I mean, the fact is, your boys are going to face all kinds of hardship on behalf of me. So here are the workers in the story. They had, if they had not compared themselves to the other workers, they would have been completely happy. They were given the exactly the amount they were promised. They were happy at the beginning of the day just to be chosen to work. And now here they are at the end of the day, and they're unhappy. And friends, here's the principle I want you to know. Whatever and whenever God gives, you be grateful. Whenever God gives, be grateful. The other couple had a baby easily. Rejoice with them even if you had trouble conceiving. Your friends just bought the house of your dreams. Don't resent them if you live in a modest home. That guy just became the MVP on the baseball team and you wanted that. Rejoice with him. That girl just became the, took the role in the school play that you wanted. Celebrate with her. Whenever God gives, whoever God gives to, whatever he gives, you be grateful. Be grateful. Instead of complaining, give thanks. The Bible says, in everything, do it without complaining or arguing. And then later in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, it is hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's one of the principles in this parable, is all of us should be grateful to God because God is outrageously generous. Now, as it is with most parables of Jesus, there is a sort of a surface understanding, and that's what we just delved into. But then there is also a deeper understanding. And we're going to walk and dive right now into that deeper part of the story. And we're going to see it in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Right there in the beginning, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. The very first words of this story drive us into a deeper place for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not just talking about kingdom on this earth and how we interact with each other and the need to be grateful. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. The vineyard is the eternal kingdom of heaven. The landowner is God. The workers are us. And again, as it is with most of the parables of Jesus, he drives us deeper into the story, and we're going to see the outrageous generosity of God. Matthew 20, verse 13. One of the workers, these workers had complained to Jesus or to the, to the landowner, and he said, but he answered one of them, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius, which was a day's wages? Take your pay and go. I will give you the one who is hired last, the same as you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The landowner didn't know any of these individuals anything at the beginning of the day. He looked for the workers. He sought them out. They accepted the invitation. He invited them in. And friends, listen, here's what this means. Whether you have received the invitation to become part of God's family when you were nine or when you were 99, whether you have been a Christian most of your life or you decided near the end of your life, God's generosity and grace was poured out on you generously. You have been forgiven of your sins. You have a new reality. You have hope for the future. You have God's help every day. You have been granted access into the kingdom of God. And my friends, that is a reality worth celebrating. And so no matter if there's someone new to the faith or you've been in the faith a long time, no matter, we don't compare with one another. Whether you are Billy Graham or you are somebody that was on, on death row and at the end of your life, you decided to make Christ the Lord of your life. 
You may think that's unfair, but that is the outrageous generosity of God. And I don't care what you think. The reality is you don't deserve it, and neither do I. We do not, any of us, deserve the, the wonderful, outrageous grace and generosity of God. That's, therefore, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same place. I want you to listen to a really beautiful section of Scripture. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read verse 1 through 10. But I want you to insert yourself into what Paul is writing. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one point, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace in the next life. Expressed in his kingdom to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, you were once dead in your sin, and now you were alive. That was your future. You were dead. You were bankrupt spiritually. You were separated from God. You deserved wrath. But verse 4 says, but because of God's great love, because of his great mercy, he is rich in mercy. You are now alive. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But by his grace, you were granted it. And here is a principle that I want you to see that is reinforced here in Ephesians. And it's also seen in this parable. You cannot work your way into the kingdom of heaven. You can't. He chooses you. He adopts you. None of us are deserving of his grace. So do not be resentful of somebody else who received grace later in their life. And here you are. You've been working hard all your life. Just be grateful. Be grateful. I see this sometimes when we would work in a church that was transitioning from maybe, um, maybe, maybe it was transitioning from more uh, traditional style or maybe it became a bit more contemporary or maybe there's a group of people that have been there a long, long time and now more and more lost people are coming to church and they don't look the same and they don't act the same and somebody's like, what is happening? We're losing our church. And they say, wait a minute, God's grace is good. It's good for everybody, whether you have been in the faith when you were a young person or whether you've been in the faith uh, just a little while, God's grace extends to all. So that's why we have to be welcoming and so appreciative of the outrageous generosity of God. We should never be like a spoiled child at Christmas who thinks that their sibling got a better gift than they did. We should all just be thankful for what God gave us. So one principle is you cannot earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. You can't. It's a gift of God. It is by grace you have been saved. God's grace. Here's the second principle. And while you cannot work your way into the kingdom of God, the baseline expectation for those who have received grace is that they work. In fact, if you look at the parable here, the ones who came later, they didn't work Uh, less hard they weren't lazy the scripture doesn't indicate that at all they just didn't work as long 
they, they didn't, it wasn't like they came in at the end of the game and they just sat around and loafed it out. No, they were there at five and they worked hard for the hour that they worked. Or the guys came at three and they worked hard for the three hours that they worked. It, it really wasn't a matter of how hard they worked. It was just the fact that once they were in the vineyard, they all worked hard. And this is a baseline expectation for everyone who has received God's grace, is that we work. The Bible says faith without works is what? Dead. So the workers came, and they worked hard. And Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God has already prepared for you in advance for you to do. And so you are saved by grace for good works. You're saved by grace for good works. This idea of being resentful over the work of the Lord happens to all of us. And for years, I would hear preachers say something like to to this effect. Um, I could quit this and just go work at Home Depot, right? This is what they would say. I would have seminary students that I would be teaching, and they'd be so cynical of people in the church. And I would always say, don't be cynical. Don't be annoyed. Don't be aggravated. Because why? Because the work matters. You keep positive. You stay in the game. This summer, that has been a bit harder for me personally. In the first hour, as I told this story, I stumbled all over it because it wasn't in my notes and I didn't prepare it. Luckily, I've thought a little more about it now. But I don't know if it's the transition to working with Middletown a bit and trying to figure out my role. You know, what does it mean to kind of lead the big picture but also kind of re-engage in that level and and figure out how to pastor and lead and transition a church that really didn't ask for this, you know, and how to massage and work through those kind of things. Maybe it's uh, some of Lisa's health concerns this summer or sort of how we interacted through that process. and Or maybe it's just the work is tiring sometimes. I'm not sure. But there was a night um, not long ago, maybe a month ago, that Lisa, there was a lot of renovation happening in the kids' area, and Lisa was here late on a Saturday night. And how many of you know, I'm the children's ministry support person, amen? You know what I'm saying? That's one of my roles. And, and uh, she was doing some things, and I was over here, and we were cleaning some things out. And it was on a Saturday night before worship on Sunday. You know, you guys would expect that I'd be on my knees somewhere praying, you know, for what's about to happen. And maybe I should have been. And, and so, but here I am. And, and there were, I, I had noticed over the previous few weeks that these two huge weeds in the middle of the gravel out here that were like trees, they were so big. And I just watched them grow over the last several weeks after weeks after weeks. And I kept thinking, someone should really pull those weeds. And uh, on this Saturday night, I was out taking out trash. Like, what am I doing here? Second, this is ridiculous. I'm throwing this stuff out. And then I look at those weeds, and I say, well, somebody's got to pull these weeds. Might as well be me. So I go there, like, I'm pulling these weeds out of the gravel. And as I am doing it, I'm literally giving a speech to myself that I am not kidding, and I'm just to be vulnerable, went something a lot like this. Um, I quit. I, I quit. This is ridiculous. Why am I out here pulling weeds? I mean, why? I mean, should I be doing something else? And it's not about me doing or not doing. It's just like, God, I just quit. And my, my speech went something like this. I quit doing the yard, yard work, even though there are others, people supporting it. I quit the yard work. I quit being the construction team. I, I quit doing the, some financial stuff here. I just kind of like to resign from all that, preach, lead, and pastor people for a while, you know? And that was my speech in my head. And uh, I confessed that to a couple of people. How many of you know, my resignation was not, I, I resigned from being the children's support person. Amen. That's a job I can't resign from. And, uh, and, and so I just like, I went through all that, shared it with a couple people at that time. And 
and in just complete honesty and vulnerability, really, I've struggled more with that in recent months than ever, ever, ever in my, in my ministry. And, and that's not about you, that's really about me. And so as I did that, I really, as I came into this text today, and I started reading this, you know, a lot of times you're preaching and the text speaks to your heart first before it speaks to anybody else's heart. And what I realized was I was the worker who came at 6 a.m. I was the worker who showed up at the beginning and God and I made an arrangement. And we started Access Church and along the way it's grown or developed. And, and what I realized is that now that we're 10 years in, really in October is our 10 year anniversary, there are moments where I'm tired. There are moments where I'm, I'm, I'm at my capacity. And maybe those are the moments where you rely more on God, but I'm convicted by the fact that, that I'm the worker at the beginning of the day who somehow at the end of the day looked around and became annoyed or frustrated or, or even frustrated by comparisons. And I realize that my job is to do exactly what everybody does the baseline expectation for those who have received grace is that we all work. We all work together as in the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. You cannot earn heaven. But now that heaven has been given, we do everything we can to help as many people as we can find it. I've read this before, but I think it really summarizes all of what I've been talking about today. Both the the idea of making unfair comparisons, the idea of being grateful for what God has given, and especially grateful for the grace of God. It's a really moving section from Brenny Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. It paints a really a great picture of this outrageous generosity of God. Listen to what he writes. I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, dressed in white robes and holding palms in their hands, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Rat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who cheerfully told me she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. I shall see the woman who had an abortion, who's haunted by guilt and remorse, but did the best she could face some grueling alternatives. The businessman besieged with debt, who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions. The insecure clergyman, addicted to being liked, who never challenged people from the pulpit and longed for unconditional love. The sexually abused teen, molested by his father, now selling his body on the street, who, as he falls asleep each night, after his last trick, whispers the name of an unknown God he learned about in Sunday school. I shall, I shall see the deathbed convert who for decades had his cake and ate it too, broke every law of God and man, wallowed in lust and raped the earth. And our question will be, but how, we ask. Then the voice says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There they are, and there we are. The multitudes who waited, wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated, soiled by life and beset by trials, wearing the bloody garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith. There we will be, because we have repented we have said, I'm sorry, and I'm pleading with you. We will be there because Jesus set us free. We will be there because Jesus was bruised and crushed, whipped and battered, mauled, wounded, scarred, marred, mutilated, harmed, lacerated, disfigured, agonized, shook, dragged, suffocated, hit, condemned, spurned, 
opposed, abandoned, mocked, showered and spit, bloodied, mangled, tortured, beaten, kicked, punched, stabbed, scourged, laughed at, fixed at a cross, died whispering forgiveness on us all. We will be there because God has set us free. God, who is the star of every parable, he is the landowner of the vineyard. He is the father of the prodigal son. He is the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. We are free because God in his outrageous generosity and grace extended freedom to every single one of us. And because of that grace, we work. We work. We look for ways to serve. We look for ways to, to jump in. Because why? Because God deserves our best. We work. While we get tired, sometimes we're reminded that He is the one who leads us. He's the one who guides us. And my feeling is today that there are more people who feel just like I do. More people who feel stretched at times. More people who feel desperate at times. And I'm just saying God will bring you times of refreshing. He'll remind you of scriptures like this that say, stay in the game. Don't be weary in doing good. For in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And God, we thank you today for your grace, your outrageous generosity to us. God, remind us of who you are. Give us encouragement for the work. God, help us to be inspired by your love for us and your, your commitment to us. Thank you, God. Help us to not be making unfair comparisons with others. Help us to be grateful for what you've done for us, God. And help us to be able to lead more and more people into that faith. Until the day where you come to take us home, God. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus.